So take it away. Okay, so hi, uh, I'm Sasha Costanza-Chalk, and uh, I do a lot of media and movement work with a lot of different organizations. Um, here in Los Angeles, I work a lot with IDEPSCA, which is the Institute of Popular Education of Southern California, and uh, we have a project called VASMA, Verbosis Mobiles, which is a community uh, journalism project where we're working with day laborers and household workers to blog from their cell phones. And you will, we'll get into that a little bit more during the actual workshop. Um, I'm also, I just recently completed my uh, PhD in communications here at USC at the Annenberg School. Um, you did? I did. Thank, yeah, thanks. I, in, in August, actually. And you didn't um, so I'm now doctor, doctor Costanza. Oh, I'm sorry. Whoa, that's scary. And uh, and I'm also a fellow at the Berkman Center for Internet and Society, which is based at Harvard Law School. Um, and that's like a bunch of mostly lawyers, but also technologists who kind of I don't know have a bunch of interesting projects on how to use uh, tech, how to use technology for uh, for democracy. Um, and today we're going to talk about uh, mobile technology and social change. And uh, and I'm going to spend, I think, uh, you know, a bunch of time just kind of giving an overview of some of the ways that different groups are using mobile technology and incorporating incorporating it into movement building. And then um, we're going to do a little bit of sort of workshopping if we have time and if people are really into it in terms of thinking about how each of you could maybe use, you know, incorporate mobile into your, into the work that you do more. So that we talked talked about me, and now we're going to talk about you. And so instead of just going around and everybody um, just saying verbally who you are, I want to raise your hand if you have a cell phone with you today. Okay, so I want everybody to take out your cell phone. But I don't have a smartphone. It doesn't matter. Why don't you take out your phone, and I want you to actually. Um, Create a text message. Who are we sending it to? What is it going to say? You're going to send it to. Um, you're going to send it to uh, an email address. You know how to do that. So, so and when I did this at the at the boot camp. And actually, when we do this a lot with Bossmob, a lot of people don't know that they can send text messages to email addresses. It could actually be any email address. It could be your own email address. This comes really useful to send yourself sort of reminders about stuff. You don't need a smartphone. Um, anyway, the point of this text message is going to be uh, in your text message, you are going to put your name and what you are hoping to learn today. And so I'll give you, I'll give you about two minutes to, to work on that. Um, the important part is actually just that you compose it in the text message, and then um, you're gonna, you're, we are going to actually read them to each other. But the idea is to just actually get the phone in your hand, so that as we talk about mobile tech and community media and everything else that you can do with the phone, we actually just have a little bit of practice going on, and, and it makes you think about some of the limitations of the technology as well as the strengths. So obviously, uh, you know, whenever we do this, you know, people have uh, a great desire to share a lot more than you know than they had time to you know type into the little text field on their phone, and um, that's just a good kind of icebreaker and warm up. And it sounds like we have a lot of interesting projects in the room and a lot of you know good ideas about what people want to do with it, and a lot of open mindedness about just learning what's out there. So that's really what we're going to do today. Today's not a presentation about Bossmob itself. Um, the, the project. It's a kind of 10,000 mile overview of all the different things that are kind of going on with mobile phones and then hopefully we'll have time to zoom in on some of the specific tools that people get most excited about or are most interested in learning more about. Um, so first of all, why mobile? I probably don't have to spend that much time on this, but you know, basically this is uh, the global statistics from the International Telecommunications Union on the diffusion of uh, internet users and that, it's misleading because this stat actually means computer-based uh, des desktop or laptop-based uh, PC internet use versus mobile cellular subscriptions. And this is from 1998 to 2009. So in developed countries, um, by, by 2007, we already had 100% uh, subscriptions. Um, so basically, this is per 100 inhabitants, so 100 with. Today, we have more than 113 subscriptions 
cell phone subscriptions per 100 inhabitants of developed countries because a lot of people have more than one you know, mobile line. Um, and then even in um, the, the world figure is 67% basically mobile penetration. And in developing countries, it's 56.8%, 57%. Now, obviously, within each of these, it's highly stratified by income and by other sort of axes of inequality. But as a general rule, um, it's the most widely diffused communication technology, and it also was the most quickly diffusing communication technology um, in history. Um, compare that to internet use, and even in developed countries, we only have about 65% um, um, you know, in internet users in developed countries. Um, and when you, when you look at developing countries, it's still below 20% internet users in developing countries. That is changing uh, a little bit more now because people are starting to access the net from their mobile devices more. But still, in general, when you think about communication technologies and platforms, um, mobile phones is really what most people on planet Earth have access to. And the PC-based internet that we might be used to um, you know, here, first of all, many communities in the US don't have access. Uh, in, the, in, the, in that way, and internationally, certainly, it's, it's not the case. Um, looking a little bit closer at the U.S., this is from the Pew Internet and American Life Project. This is a tw 2010 data. Um, so this is interesting, right? All of, of all adults in the U.S., 82% own a cell phone. Um, white, non-Hispanic, it's 80%, and African-American is uh, almost 90%. And English-speaking Latino is at about 90%. Um, it's, it is much lower for Spanish-speaking, or, or Spanish-speaking only. But um, when we look at the types of things that people do with their phones, we also are seeing this interesting data that people of color are basically using more of the advanced uh, functions on their phones than Anglos. And that includes you know, picture-taking, text messaging, internet access, um, games, videos, etc. Now, this is kind of cool in one sense, but it's also kind of messed up. The reason why this is the case is because these are communities that have less access to internet in the home and broadband internet in the home. So basically, people are making the most use of the tool that they actually have you know, in their hands. Um, in fact, um, I don't have this stat here, but the 2010 data from the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, NTIA, tells us that in uh, low-income households, and this is households making uh, under $24,000. Um, uh, we only have a 20, about 23% broadband access in the home among those households, compared to almost 90% for households that are making um, over uh, $70,000, $70, I think. Um, so basically, we still have a massive inequality uh, in terms of who has broadband access in the home. Now, people still get online. They get online at pub public libraries and schools. Um, and sometimes workplaces, but um, we, have a, uh, we still have massive sort of inequality in terms of the type and quality of internet connectivity that people have. But that does lead to this interesting situation where uh, mobile phones are really the communication tool of choice of low-income communities, young people, and people of color in the US. Um, and then in terms of the types of things people are doing with their phones, uh, people using their phones for multimedia functions is just keeps growing really, really quickly. So by May of 2010, this is the percent of cell phone owners who do these things on their phones. And it's about 75% are taking pictures, 70% taking, you know, sending text messages, a third are playing games, a third are emailing, um, you know, 40% are accessing the net, um, a third are playing music. And it goes on like that. And actually with Basmob, we just did a, another a follow-up survey in day labor centers all around Los Angeles to see what phones day laborers have and what plans they have and what they're doing with their phones. And um, we actually found stats that pretty much look like, um, pretty much look like this. Maybe a little bit lower, um, on, but, um, but, but pretty similar. So, and this is the most, most marginalized, one of the most mar marginalized and lowest income you know, populations in, in Los Angeles and in, in the country. And, but they do have phones, and they are, um, half of them were text messaging, half of them were taking pictures. Not so much sending media around, but they had photos on their phones that they would show to friends and so on. So multimedia use on the phone is growing for everyone. Um, I'll just skip this. This is kind of what I was talking about before in terms of who is using laptops versus who's using phones. So I pretty much summarized that already. Um, 
can look at it again later if you want. And also, you can have the link to this presentation so you can pour over the data if you want. So what I wanted to do now, um, could, are you going to help me sort of keep time a little bit? Yeah. That would be awesome. Thanks. Um, so I wanted to just kind of do this little mobile action menu thing. And actually, this, this image, just so you know, this is uh, art by Rini Templeton, um, which has been remixed by the Mobile Voices you know, project. Um, and I'm just using it uh, for this overview. So uh, what, I, what I've done here is I've actually just kind of created a bunch of categories of ways that social movements and nonprofits in general are using mobile phones for their work. And of course, like any categories, you know, we could nitpick about them and there's lots of things that probably aren't in these categories and people do things that don't fit in any of them but can help organize a, a presentation or the way that you think about what people might do with these tools. So first, um, people are using phones for journalism and for storytelling. And you know, I'll just give a couple, a couple quick examples. So obviously, you know, people would all be familiar with this footage, probably. An attorney representing the family of a young Hayward man who was fatally shot by a bar police officer says he plans to file a $25 million lawsuit against the transit agency. Um, sorry, I, it was supposed to start over here. So this is Oscar. This is Oscar Grant, of course. Board the bar train with a cell phone who does not want to be identified. You can see Oscar Grant on his knees here, talking to police. Then he is pulled down onto the ground, face down. There is what seems to be a struggle. Then a second bar police officer puts his knee to Grant's neck and head. The video graphically displays what happens the moment Grant is shot. One officer pulls at his gun. He stands, unholsters the gun, and fires. Just feet from where Grant was shot. So ha raise your hand if you've seen this this clip before. So mo most people in the room, but not everybody. So of course there were many different um, you know versions of this clip. There were a number of people who captured this with their cell phones and also with video cameras. Um, and I wanted to show it because it's obviously very powerful and very emotional and and very crucial. And you know the thing is that this this happens every day. Obviously, you know police in, in the United States of America are you know, are, are murdering young black men especially, but um, people of color, you know, on, on a daily basis. But increasingly people are able to document that with the media capture tools that we are all carrying around with us. Um, and so, um, I won't spend too much time on it, but there's some responses coming from, you know, police are trying to block people from being able to even film them and so on. But that's a response to the fact that they know that now, today, more than ever before, there's more possibility that people will document what they're doing um, with images and with video. Um, and a large part of that is because of everybody's got a cell phone and increasingly cell phones do have, you know, video capacity. This is a really kind of important recent example um, that shows how that's used. Um, I'll quickly show this, this video which is a short um, kind of overview of the Basma project. It's about three minutes long. En voces móviles buscamos amplificar nuestras voces. Convirtiendo los teléfonos celulares en una herramienta para la comunicación popular. Trabajadores, jornaleros, investigadores, estudiantes, organizadores, programadoras, formamos parte de crear un sistema de software libre. Donde mandamos mensajes de texto, audio, video y mostramos nuestro mundo, leyendo nuestra realidad para contar nuestras historias. My name is Natalie Ariano. My name is Natalia Rodríguez. Mi nombre es Ramón Velázquez. Manuel Mancilla. Madelu González. Hi, my name is Marco Rodriguez. Silence will never be an option. That's why I like mobile voices, because I can speak to the world. Nuestra voz viaja a través comunidades. Comunidades donde han sufrido la presión, la violencia y la segregación. On the research side, our partnership supports media justice efforts and seeks to advance the theory and practice of technology appropriation Mobile Voices lets you express what goes on around you or to you. It doesn't matter if you express it with a single image 
a sound recording, a video, or even with a text. Because you are being heard, people are learning about what's going on. Voces móviles es nuestra realidad. Las manos. Las manos de las mujeres y hombres trabajadores que vienen a dejar aquí todo su esfuerzo a contribuir a la economía de esta gran nación. Voces Móviles permite contar nuestras propias historias, mostrar nuestra esencia y aporte económico y cultural a esta nación. That's a little example from here in Los Angeles from the Bosma project. Um, and then this image, does anyone recognize you know this? This image yeah. probably, you know, everybody might. So this is Neda Sultani was uh, um, an Iranian uh, you know, student movement activist uh, who was basically shot by the Basij uh, militia and it was captured on a cell phone and then that was um, you know, uploaded to the web and then picked up by broadcast media and transmitted internationally as a symbol of sort of the violent repression of the, of the, um, of the struggle there. And they won an award. Oh, the, the, Im the image itself? The Pope Media Award. It's yeah. only thirty seconds, or, or I forget how long, but it won a journalism award. So people are using um, cell phones for journalism storytelling in all different kinds of contexts. Um, research. So um, there are a lot of interesting ways to use the mobile phone as a data gathering tool, and this can be really useful to social movement organizations, to service providers, to researchers. Whether whether they're doing traditional research or community-based research, participatory research. Um, we're actually talking right now to the Right to the City Coalition about possibly using training tenants to use their phones to document um, housing code violations um, and basically using the VOSMOB system to send in um, images of, uh, of, of violations uh, in the home that can be used to assemble a database to then go out of, of proof to then go after kind of, you know, slumlord owners. Um, this is a tool called Frontline Forms, um, which is a free open source tool that you can use to create forms that can run even on cheap cell phones. It doesn't have to be a smartphone. And you can sort of, the organization can create its own form and then have that downloaded onto organizers, um, you know, phones, and then people can enter stuff uh, into those forms. Like it would, it would look sort of like this on a cheap phone. This is an example from a, um, a community health worker form. And people would enter just sort of the basic details of whatever information they're trying to gather, and then it actually sends via SMS all of that information from the phone to a server. Um, and there's kind of endless applications of this. So again, it would really just be about what your particular organization is trying to do and what your research goals would be. The idea is that you can use the phone as a data gathering tool, and it has a lot of advantages um, um, because it's because it's mobile, because you can eliminate the need to do data entry. Like in other words, instead of taking down a whole bunch of sort of details on a on a piece of paper and then you have to go home and someone has to enter them all into your database on your computer, you can actually make a form on your phone um, and just enter it all and it's directly in the database. Mm -hmm. um, it can be rich media, so if part of your research project involves gathering pictures or audio clips or whatever, that can be done directly in a message on the phone which you then send in. Um, and it also has the ability to have location uh, information in it. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, organizing and action alerts. So people are increasingly using phones for this. And I don't know why I put organizing and action alerts together. They're not really the same thing at all. But action alerts is what I was thinking of when I put it here. So basically, um, a lot of organizations and nonprofits especially are now using mobile phones just like you would have an email list you have a text message list. And we're all pretty familiar with this now, probably. It's, you know, text something to something. And whatever the organization is, you know, text seals to whatever. Or uh, in this case, it was the Basta Dobbs campaign to get Lou Dobbs, um, you know, off of, off of CNN. And it was, you know, 
uh, text enough to 30644 or, or text BASTA, um, in which case you would be added to the Spanish language list. And raise your hand if you're familiar with this ca campaign at all, the Boston Dobbs campaign. So about half the people. Um, so uh, I guess I should show the, the video clip then. Or the, what, what time is it? I don't know if I have time to show all the video Five clips. Five to seven. Five to seven. Yeah, maybe I'll skip the video clip. You'll have to watch it on your own uh, later. By you can't be by sh should I show it? Show um, it. Should I just, I'll just show it. Okay, fine. So this, well, the reason I'm going to show this is because, uh, sorry, one of the key takeaways that I want people to have from the idea of using phones for um, basically action alerts is that um, it's not something that works on its own. It has to be integrated into a larger cross-platform or what I like to call transmedia communication strategy. And the reason why is because um, it's, kind of, it's kind of like email alerts. How are people going to sign up to be on your list? They're not just going to sort of randomly sign up um, just because you created your, your action alert system. And I'll, we'll look later at some tools for how you can do that. But it, basically, in the case of the Basta Dobbs campaign, um, the way that they managed to build a list of you know, 80,000 plus people within the first th three to four weeks of doing the campaign was through a number of different coordinated tactics, which included face-to-face -face meetings with a lot of on-the-ground organizations that already had a base. It included a tour of Spanish-language uh, radio stations around the country. So they actually, organizers for this campaign actually bought uh, this all-you-can-eat JetBlue ticket that let you pay a certain amount of money and you know, fly as much as you wanted around the country. And they used that to do a tour around the country, went on Spanish-language radio, constantly uh, announced this campaign, and during the actual radio interviews they were doing, um, gave out you know, this, this information so that people who were actually listening could right then text in and add themselves to, uh, to the action uh, alert system. And then they also did actions. They did on-the-ground sort of you know, street protests outside CNN uh, offices and headquarters in different locations, which, of course, generated broadcast media coverage of those actions. And during those broadcasts, they were very much sort of took advantage of the fact that they were being covered by uh, especially Spanish-language TV um, to announce this information over the TV as they were being covered doing the, um, doing the actions. So, that's, so basically, they had a cross-media uh, strategy to build up this list of people. And then they, they topped it off with this nicely produced video, um, which, which um, was on their website, of course, and they used their email list to drive more traffic into their, into their SMS list. But they also had this circulate pretty widely via YouTube and via social networking sites. And you'll see uh, what they meant, what they did with this. It's not loading. So, okay, we're not meant to see this video right now. So you'll have to watch it on your own. It's a very nicely produced, compelling, you know, short video um, about how CNN can't have it both ways. They're trying to build their Latino audience, and they're launching this whole Latinos in, in the USA series. But at the same time, they had Dobbs spewing this racist crap every day. Um, and they did quick cuts with examples of him doing that. And then um, they show this very you know, compelling footage of the results of all this hate speech, which is hate crimes. Um, and then it ends with, you know, enough is enough text, you know, text enough to, with basically the same thing from the, um, from this text enough to three zero six four four. So basically, everything they were doing was on message around building up um, visibility of this campaign and building up this mobile action alert system. And then what they did with the mobile action alert system, of course, was send out um, invitations to people to call CNN offices at particular times when they were doing um, doing you know mobilizations and when they were trying to build more visibility for the campaign. Um, so action alerts are a cool tool, but they basically are just like email uh, action alert systems. Um, they're nice because they reach people where they are, and they have better sort of action rates. Like people tend to click through them more than they do on emails, but um, they don't. They're, they're not standalone. They work with your whole media campaign. Maps and GIS. So I mentioned this before. During So this is a, a an organization called Ushahidi that has built a whole model around using phones to do crisis mapping. And I'll just play their short video. 
Imagine a way for people all over the world to tell the story of what was happening to them or around them during a disaster or emergency situation. It would need to be easy to use, something that almost anybody can do, and it would need to be deployable worldwide. And that's why we've created Ushahidi. Ushahidi is the Swahili word meaning testimony or witness. Born from the post-election violence in Kenya in 2008, Ushahidi kept Kenyans current on vital information and provided invaluable assistance to those providing relief. It was deployed in the Democratic Republic of Congo to monitor unrest. Al Jazeera used it to track violence in Gaza. It was used to help monitor the 2009 Indian elections and to help gather reports globally about the recent swine flu outbreak. Anybody can contribute information, whether it's a simple text message from an SMS-capable phone, a photo or video from a smartphone, or a report submitted online. Ushahidi can gather information from any device with a digital data connection. After a report is submitted, it's posted in near real time to an interactive map that can be viewed on a computer or smartphone. But the most powerful feature Ushahidi offers is the ability to take the core application and deploy it yourself to suit your community's needs. Since Ushahidi is open source, anyone can improve the service in any way they see fit. Our growing community of developers are constantly at work improving Ushahidi to bring it to as many people as possible, including working to bring native applications to today's most popular mobile devices. With Ushahidi, it's easier than ever to get critical and timely information to those that need it most on a platform that almost anybody can use. So basically they've used this system um, for situations that are sort of like crisis mapping, election monitoring, is used in uh, Mexico also to monitor um, election stuff. And the idea is that as people send in these messages, um, they have location information about the messages and so that you're generating this sort of map of events in, in near real time. And they use it in Arizona too, right? About Oh, I didn't hear about that. About hate crimes and stuff. Oh, really? Okay. Um, fundraising. This, um, of course, is a growing field right now using mobile devices to raise money and there's a number of different ways that you can do this. Um, I don't have time for the long sort of detailed background. Unfortunately in the US there's this consortium of cell phone companies that set up the system that, that governs how you can actually donate money you know via text messages and um, for a long time that meant that the only people who were able to actually set up text donation systems were huge nonprofits you know with, with, with big budgets Actually, you were required to have a budget of at least half a million dollars a year to even be considered for an application to set up an SMS donation system. That's changed just in the last year or so mm -hmm. because there are now a number of smaller, basically companies who are reselling um, access to donation via SMS to a short code, um, including here in LA, Coscast actually got a sort of, has managed to set it up so that you can even if you're a, a smaller nonprofit, you can now set up a text donation system through Coscast through what's called a shared short code. So you don't get your own short code. And, and a short code, again, is like this little, you know, these like 90999, that's a short code. Um, and so basically the way it works is all of the mobile companies um, agree that if someone sends a message to this shorter, you know, five or six digit number, that a certain thing will happen. And Unfortunately, there's no regulatory oversight of how short codes work right now. It would be as if, like, imagine if just like Verizon and Comcast were the only people you could buy internet domain names from and they could charge you whatever they wanted. And in the case of short codes, they actually are charging like $5,000 just to set one up and another one or $2,000 per month just to run it. So this is why uh, until recently you had to be a really big uh, either company or giant nonprofit. Um, to be able to use one. But like I said, that's changed a little bit. So now with shared short codes, basically somebody like Coscast buys one short code and then they're reselling that to a, num to a lot of different organizations. So what happens is you get a particular name, like word, like the name of your organization. And when, you, when somebody texts that word to the Coscast shared short code, um, they know that it's, it's, for, you, it's for you 
and whatever action you've agreed with them is going to happen will happen. So you might get that person's number into a list which you could then send messages to. Um, if, if you've set up a mobile donation service, it might trigger um, a 5 or $10 charge to be added to that person's phone bill, which then would most of it would then go to your um, organization. And again, until recently, it was like the phone companies took half, but that's changing now, so that's good. So basically, short code donations. Obviously, the big example here is after the Haiti earthquake. Um, this was everywhere, from billboards to TV to radio, print, um, across the web. And it generated $30 million in SMS donations within the first uh, eight days, I believe, um, which was the largest mobile giving you know, campaign that had ever, had ever happened. Um, of course, it's because of the magnitude of the of the disaster and, and, and you know the number of deaths and all of that. But basically, um, this was when people in the U.S. Uh, there have actually been mobile mobile money transfer systems have been were pioneered in Africa first by mobile phone users who started just actually taking um, like prepaid cards and then just texting the number of the prepaid card to their friends or or family as a way of like kind of transferring credit around, like money. Mm. Um, so it was basically people who don't have bank accounts and don't have credit cards sort of created their own mobile banking system, which is was then picked up on by the mobile companies and they now have mobile banking. Anyway, we're not pioneers here in the U.S. of using mobile phones for sending money around, but because of what happened after Haiti, like nonprofits everywhere are realizing, oh, wow, we can get people to send money via text messages. So there's a bunch of services now around that. And I'll show you a list of them later. Um, but I just wanted to point out that using SMS donations is not the only way to raise money using a mobile phone. You can also get creative and do interesting things like this group Earth Justice did. Um, so this, was, this is a print poster that they put up around different cities. Um, I think they started in New York. And basically, when you saw this, you could use a location service. In this case, it's Foursquare, which is a popular just like commercial and social networking site where um, mostly young people, when they show up at a particular location, will, will um, you know, basically send a message saying, I'm here at the bar. And then you know, every time you go to that bar, you check in there. And anyway, <laughs> the point is that um, you can use this for kind of innovative fundraising strategies. And like Earth Justice found a donor to say, every time somebody checks in to, um, to these posters that you put up, we all donate ten dollars to the organization, um, so it doesn't it's not only through SMS giving that you could use mobile phones uh, to raise money. You could be creative about it too and find find other ways to do that. So Earth Justice ad is is like a virtual place. It's not a real place. It's a virtual place. Yeah. So they created a place in Foursquare, which is actually their just their ad their ad, and then and whenever someone sees this ad around the city, they check in there, and then. Earth Justice gets 10 bucks. And presumably they like it because their name is getting out there more. Yeah, it's like an interactive ad. They're getting money from it, and it's in people's consciousness because it's like, oh, wow, I could check in with this, you know, with this nonprofit. Where's the money coming from? From some private donor that they convinced that this was, would be a cool idea. So, you know, maybe it's a foundation, maybe it's a wealthy individual, um, but it's basically it's a way of, instead of that person just giving them a grant or giving them money, they use it as part of this kind of interactive campaign to build visibility for the organization. And also to build, by the way, to build a big mobile list. Because everyone who checks into this is then, for this group, this Earth Justice will be able to contact them later on their phone with other stuff that they're doing later. So it's you know, list building, basically. Um, and then this is my sort of catch-all category, which is meant to remind people that you know, one of the biggest things about mobile phones, it's not these kind of top-down, organizational, we're going to use this in this strategic way, but it's just about the way that digital culture and social networking sites are sort of all, mo all becoming mobile, and that people, especially young people, um, are participating increasingly in social networking sites through, you know, um, chat, you know, Posting updates to Twitter, to Facebook, to MySpace, if you're in Brazil, to Orkuchi, if you're in South Korea, to SciWorld, if you're in China, to Badu Badu, um, you know, whatever the social networking site may be in your particular location, people are increasingly using it um, via their mobile device, um, and that means that they're constantly communicating with friends, with real-world friends, 
um, via these electronic spaces that they access from their phones. And the point about sort of culture and social networking sites is that sometimes, you know, activism and organizing, again, we also tend to forget about the importance of, of culture to organizing. And my example here is the Hello Garcia um, ringtone uh, scandal. So basically, uh, Gloria Macapagal Arroyo, the um, president of the, of the Philippines until very recently, um, and was basically caught, was, was taped um, during the election in, when is it, 2006? I want to say 2006. Could be wrong. It's on Wikipedia. Google um, it. But basically, um, was caught on a phone call to the election commissioner, basically saying, "Is the are the results fixed yet?" Um, and, and so you know, she calls you know calls and says you know hello hello Garcy and that's 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 um, and that that pickup of the phone and saying hello Garcy then was recorded and then that got remixed by activists into ringtones, which became the most popular and most downloaded ringtones in the history of the Philippines. And by the way, the Philippines has like the highest mobile penetration of like any country in the world. I don't know why that is. Um, <laughs> Filipinos just like to talk a lot. Um, but, ba but basically they were way ahead of the curve in mobile uptake and adoption and also in text messaging and rich media applications um, so years ago, everybody already had a phone and was constantly sending around ringtones uh, and, and, and video clips and stuff like that to each other. Also, probably because of the low internet rate. So again, it's a situation where this is people's primary form of electronic connection. So, but these ringtones became super popular, and there was a period of like a year there where wherever you went, on the buses and public, you know, you would hear different versions of these ringtones. And I'll just play one for you. So, I mean, it's in Tagalog, but basically it's this conversation that I just described where they're talking about election fixing, remixed with a hip-hop beat, Super Mario Brothers sounds, and it's turned into a ringtone, and it gets circulated from, passed around from phone to phone. You hear it on buses, you hear it in schools, you hear it everywhere, and it basically just brought this election scandal really, you know, far forward in people's consciousness and made, um, made uh, Gloria Arroyo a, a total laughingstock. Um, and... And that actually was part of a whole cycle of protests and, and mobilizations to try and kick her out, which were not actually successful. Um, they were those protests were repressed. Um, she's now she's now gone. But um, so the point isn't that a ringtone can bring down a corrupt president, but the point is that a ringtone can make a mockery of a corrupt president <laughs> and become part of general sort of culture, and that culture and music and a ringtone and all of this stuff is is sort of part of the general currency of digital culture, and it also should be part of activism and organizing. Um, so that's the kind of broad overview. What time is it now? It's 7.14. Um, then I had like sort of more details on tools in these different categories. Um, and should I run through these quickly, or should we just start talking? No, run through Run through them. Okay. Okay, so... We talked about the journalism and storytelling category. So some of the good tools, you know, for doing that. It's kind of, it's kind of everywhere now. So basically, um, to be able to send, uh, sorry for the flashes, I don't know why I'm seeing that. Um, to be able to send rich media content from phones to the web, there's many different ways you can do this now. And first of all, all of the most popular uh, social networking sites now support this. So basically, you can send photos from your phone to Twitter, MySpace, Facebook, Flickr, um, etc. Um, and it typically works just like we did at the beginning. Um, if you don't have a smartphone, you send it as an MMS to an email address. That's how Flickr works, for example. If you do have a smartphone, um, you download an app onto your phone and then you just kind of you know, upload it. Um, you can do videos through TwitVid pictures through TwitPic and Flickr and all those social networking sites. Um, BossMob, obviously we've built a, a system tailor-made um, for the cheap phones that the community we're working with has. And that's an important takeaway here too, is that whatever your strategy is for community storytelling, mobile media, 
you need to know what phones the folks you're working with have. Um, if you're working with a community that all has smartphones, then maybe you'll make an app for a smartphone. If you're working with a community that has access to more uh, basic plans, prepaid plans, and doesn't have as many smartphones, then you need to use MMS to send rich media content. Um, and something like VosMob would help you do that. Um, you also, uh, you know, most of the most popular blogging content management systems like WordPress also support mobile publishing at this point in time. So pretty much whatever you're, whatever you're using as your web platform, be it a commercial web service or social networking site, or be it your own hosted site on a content management system, um, probably there's a plugin which will allow you to you know, post content from a mobile, mobile device. Um, another, a new development in journalism through phones is, basically, is live streaming from smartphones. This is a kind of really interesting new development. And again, this is limited to smartphones, but um, even, if, even if your community is a low-income community and everyone doesn't have smartphones, um, it still might be a cool thing to do in a particular action context. You might buy one or a couple smartphones with unlimited data plans just so that you could do live streaming of your actions or events. And there's sites like Ustream TV and Quick.com that basically, you, if you have a smartphone, you can install an application on the phone, you set up an account on this web service, and then you can just do live broadcasting from your phone to the web. Can you tell me also do that with YouTube? Uh, live streaming to YouTube from your phone? You can upload videos to YouTube like from your phone. That. Yeah. It seems to me it's something I read just recently that they were coming up with. Or that they might, yeah, they might, they may well be doing it. I haven't, always come up with stuff. I haven't seen it yet. They certainly would have competition from, you know, Ustream and Google doesn't want to get behind in any of those things. And so if, if they don't have it yet, they may have it soon. But so, yeah, there's a number of commercial services out there that you can use to live stream from your phone to the web. Um, and the DreamX students used this um, just recently when they did sit-ins in U.S. Congress. They had a couple smartphones, and they ended up using Ustream. Um, so basically, as they were doing sit-ins in congressional offices, they were live broadcasting it from their phones onto the web. And to my knowledge, that's the first time that anybody had actually done a live stream of a sit-in in, in U.S. Congress. So that was pretty cool. And the other neat thing about Ustream is that people can actually, um, if you go on the site, you'll see that as people are watching the stream, there's also a chat interface. So people, the people who are watching your stream can be kind of interacting with each other and talking to each other about the action as you're doing it. Um, for re research tools, I mentioned uh, frontline SMS forms. That was the thing that I showed where you can create sort of forms and put them on a phone. Mm -hmm. um, there's another tool called Open Data Kit, which is basically the same kind of thing. And uh, it's basically just you know designing tools for phones that make it easier for people to input data from the field and just upload them. Um, but you don't have to actually have a system. Like you could also just say, you know, whatever. Maybe your maybe your research. Uh, there's a lot of ways this can work, right? So if you do build a mobile list, you can do polls of your of the people who are on that list. You can write to them. You know, whatever. Would you rather? Would you rather that we do our direct action on you know October fifteenth, twenty third, or twenty fourth? Um, you know, text twenty three. Text 15, 23, or 24. And then you, know, you could add up those answers later and that would help you decide when to do your direct action or whatever. You, know, you, could, you don't have to build a, a system. You could actually just use the natural you know, functions of, of, of SMS to use it for research. Um, action alerts. Um, so three ways to set up an action alert system using your phone. From simplest to well, I don't know if it's simplest and most complicated. From, from, from DIY to commercial service. So simplest way is to just use your own phone. And you can actually just, you, you can just do what we've always done with phone trees. Except for you can use SMS. Um, for that matter, you could just have a phone tree, which would be on mobile phones. But that wouldn't be that exciting to talk about because it would just be a phone tree. Um, <laughs> but so basically, SMS phone tree is where like you have... You have a core group of organizers, right? And you say, okay, we're going to do an action alert, you know, next week. And, you know, Ken is going to compose the action alert. And he's going to send it to everybody in this room. It's going to be a text message. And when you get it, you're going to forward it to everybody in your contact list on your phone. And that way, 
in just a two-step process, you're going to go from one person composing an SMS to suddenly like nine, nine of us all sending that same message out to our whole contact list or to some subset of the contact list that might be interested. And very quickly, you know, messages can multiply that way. And that's the idea of sort of viral peer-to-peer you know, SMS action alerts. And in fact, probably in the most interesting uses of SMS to get people out and mobilize around things, it's often actually takes place in that way. It's just a sort of natural, organic, peer-to-peer, um, decentralized sort of movement moment where people are sending these, these things around. Not so much um, just the top-down, like one organization had a million people on their list and sent it out. Although that is increasingly happening as people's SMS lists become more sophisticated. But so, is that what we would use for NetSquared to get people out? Yeah, probably. And the advantage actually of doing it peer-to-peer is that there's a lot of good research that shows. In addition, it's just common sense. But people actually um, trust and pay more attention to text messages that they receive from friends than text messages that they receive from uh, nameless corporations, big nonprofits, political parties, or any other big you know, institution. And this is actually sort of true for email too, but we're so used to being blasted with like emails from your friends <laughs> now that you kind of forget about that. But basically the most effective SMS action does come from a friend or someone that you, you know face to face. So for NetSquared, that would be a good example. Like next time we do NetSquared, like the day of, we should send out um, an SMS um, you know, to everybody in this room and everybody here should then forward that to people you think might be interested and that's a way to get more attendance. So that's peer-to-peer SMS. Um, also a lot of phones, to make that process a little bit easier so that you don't have to go through your contact list and like select all the people, a lot of phones support groups now, um, both smartphones but also non-smartphones. So you can just create a preset list of contacts that you know is going to be interested in certain kinds of things um, or at, you know, actions of a certain kind, and then you can just send it to them. Step two would be to use your, not step two, but another way to do this is just using your computer, your desktop computer. You can manage lists of people's phones and send them messages from your computer. And the simplest way to do this is just using your email client and actually just creating a, a group. And that requires you to get people's Okay, every phone in the U.S. has an email address. And the email address is usually the number of the phone at sms dot the provider, like sms.att.net. Um, and if it's Verizon, it's like the number at uh, vzwpix.com or something like that. And if it's Boost, it's like the number at myboostmobile.com. So each phone company has a different, what's called uh, SMS to email gateway, which is that last part of the address, but it, they all have one. And so basically... You just have to know SMS to email gateway. Yeah. And so basically the way this works is if you want to be able to send people messages to their phones from your computer, one way to do it is if at some point you can get them to send you a text message to, your, to the email address that you want to use to do this, it will arrive from their phone's email address. So you could create a Gmail account for your SMS action list, which would be you know, smsblast at gmail.com. And then when you did your events and stuff, you would say, okay, you know, everybody you know, send, send a text message to this, you know, this email address if you want to get on, get on the SMS activist list. And they would just send it, and then when it arrived in that inbox, it would be coming from their phone's email address. And then later you could just send messages to, to all their phones. So that's pretty, you know, simple and straightforward way to do that. Um, there are dedicated applications for this, like there's an application called Frontline SMS that you can download and install on your computer. And basically, what you do is you connect a phone to your computer using just like a USB cable, and then Frontline SMS lets your phone talk to your computer, and that way you can just kind of manage. You can send SMSs using your phone but just using your computer as the interface so that you don't have to like, you know, do this kind of stuff. Um, and then the next step is, the next step is online service app application service providers. And those are ASPs, application service providers. And this could be anything from something like Twitter um, to something like Mobile Commons. So Twitter, how would you use Twitter as, a, as a, your email list? Well. You know, you would create a Twitter account for your organization. You would convince lots of people to follow your Twitter account, and they'd have to have Twitter accounts too. 
and they would also have to be set up to like be receiving Twitter on their phone, and they would actually have control over that. But basically, when you sent messages out from that Twitter account, that person will then get your tweets, um, however they've chosen to receive them, which could be on their computer or it could be on their mobile phone if they're following if they're using Twitter on their phone. Um, mobile Commons. This is this is when. If you're a relatively bigger budget organization or whatever, and you want to set up a really sophisticated, you know, SMS list, like, do any of you use like Democracy in Action or another online application service provider that manages email lists? So nonprofits of a certain size are often now using application service providers to manage their email lists. The advantage of this kind of thing is it's like a dedicated company that you are paying a certain amount of, you're paying a certain amount of month to some company basically manage your email list for you, right? Mm -hmm. And they give you lots of metrics over, okay, well, when you sent this email, this is how effective it was, this is how many people clicked on the email and took the action you asked them to do, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. This is now happening for mobile phones and SMS action alerts now too. And Mobile Commons is one of the providers that does that. So if you had a big budget, you could create an account with Mobile Commons, they would host your, your SMS action list. And this is what groups like, you know, Basa Dobbs and um, b bigger nationwide campaigns that are doing SMS alerts are typically doing this kind of thing. They hire a application service provider who run who manages their SMS list. Anyway, um, but you don't need to do that. It could be anything from peer peer to peer to your desktop computer to free applications like Frontline SMS to expensive, you know, sophisticated systems like Mobile Commons. Uh, maps and GIS. We talked a little bit about this. Um, I showed you the video from Ushahidi, which is a way to do like crisis mapping from a phone. Vosmob, we're actually right now building mapping functionalities. So the stories that um, are posted from around Los Angeles um, are actually going to be kind of located on maps as well. Um, and increasingly, of course, commercial services have location. So Latitude is Google's location service. So if you have a Gmail account, mm -hmm. um, you could go log into your Google account and you could go go look at Latitude, it's one of their services that they offer. And that lets you basically post your location constantly so that the NSA can track everything. <laughs> I don't want to do that, I, I don't understand Well, people, people, the people do it so that they can, it's like locational awareness of where your friends are. You, it's, you, it's not public, it's shared with particular people. And you could use this in certain types of situations. I don't know, I don't know, I haven't seen anyone use Latitude for activism, but I'm sure somebody will find a way to use it. And, uh, you know, whatever. The state knows where you are anyway, Anna. So places. Um, this is face places is Facebooks. It's, it's all the same thing. Latitude places, Foursquare. It's commercial services that are making it easy and exciting and enticing for people to share their location data all the time. And we, and, and. Um, I turn places off. Because people yeah. can tell that. Because people know where you are. No. People can take you and put you into places yeah. where you're not. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I turned it off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. I didn't even know there was business there. So this is. <laughs> so this is. So this is obviously. Um, the the point of this was not uh, to encourage all activists to share their location with uh, companies and the state. The point was that you can use these services to create maps of media that's produced on the phone. Because as your phone, if your phone is GPS enabled, or even if it's not, it knows where it is. And so when you create things like pictures, the information about where that picture was taken is embedded in the actual picture file. And when you upload it to the web, you can then later map that image somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so this, yeah. And so in what's in, if you if you open up a, if you open up a picture in a text editor, yeah. you'll see you'll see a bunch of information about it, which will include things like the date it was taken where it was taken, the model of the phone, all that kind of stuff. And so this is it's good stuff it's good stuff to just know in general. And what you provided to the And how much information you're constantly putting out there, but it can be used so for for example, say I want to map the I'll give you an example from the, from environmental justice. So oh. there, so there's some groups at uh, there's a group of researchers at UC Berkeley who created a device that you can actually plug into a cheap phone that can monitor the air quality, and then it can send a te send text messages constantly from the phone throughout the day with information about the air quality 
and the location. And it gets the location just from the phone's built-in location system. And so what you can use this to do is to have a whole group of community organizers or residents or whatever walk around the city with their phone sending this constant information about the air quality and then you can use that to create a map of the distribution. This is a classic EJ strategy, right? The distribution, the, the, the unequal distribution of, you know, pollutants in the air which tend to concentrate because of the location of facility of, you know, pollution creating facilities. They locate in low income uh, neighborhoods and in communities of color and then you generate this map which you can then use to fight for public policy change and, and hold companies accountable. So there are certainly, there are good uses of geodata and then there are nefarious uses of geodata and we, it's just important to know that the, the capacity is there. Um, fundraising. Um, this is the one that everyone at the SAGE thing was most excited about. Um, oh, sorry, the Lane, Lane, sorry, the Lane, uh, Lane New Media Bootcamp. So, the mobile donation vendor comparison chart. Uh, this, remember I was talking about how up until recently like it was impossible for a small group or nonprofit to set up a mobile donations? So this is a good comparison chart. So there, th this is all of the providers that you can set up mobile text-based donation with, because um, they have to be approved by this industry consortium. But just recently, Classcast got approved, and they have free service that you can set up. Well, it's not free. The setup is free, and then it's like um, 100 bucks a month if you are a nonprofit organization with less than half a million dollars in revenue. Um, so that's not, I mean, that's still, you know, it's 1,200 bucks a year. Um, it's not peanuts. It's not like you're just going to randomly be setting these things up. But it is within reach of even small organizations if you really decide that you want to build a mobile strategy and that having people text to donate is something you really want to do, you, it's something that you could strategize and do and you could, you could throw, a, throw a party and raise the money that you would need to you know, do this for a year kind of thing. So um, when we charge 50 cents per text? Right. Where is this chart from? Success this chart is from a blog post uh, is that the one that you here. Can look at? Okay. That's where we can find that one. You'll be able to look at all this at home, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the link at the, at the end. But basically, um, the takeaway from this chart, if you're a small organization, is that you're going to have to go work with Causecast. Yeah, right. Or, oh wait, or Mobile Cause, but they're 250 bucks a month. Oh, so basically, okay. they're the only game in town unless you've got a big budget. So go on Causecast's site, and basically you can, you can set up a shared shortcode with them with a word right. for your organization. You're going to be paying them 100 bucks a month, and when people donate either $5 or $10 by texting in, they're going to take 50 cents, um, and they're going to take 10%. If you, they have two services, text to give and text to pledge. If it's text to pledge, the person might actually be pledging a recurring fee uh, to be withdrawn from their phone, their phone bill every month to go to your organization. Okay. So it's like you know, subscribe, right. pledge oh. subscribers. Okay. In that case, they'll take 10%. If it's a one-time donation, they'll take 50 cents per, per text. But if you're getting $5, they're getting 50 cents, you know, that's, and they're providing that service. Um, and then for tools for my, that last category of general digital culture and social networking, you know, Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, whatever social network your community is on, if they are on one, um, then that's where you would build your mobile strategy around. And the main takeaways on this is to think about how this is not about you blasting out a bunch of content to people. It's about having a conversation with your membership or your base. Um, it's about encouraging them to create and produce content you know, on their mobile devices, which will then, you know, you might act as a kind of curator or aggregator of content that's produced by people in your organization slash mobilization slash movement, whatever, and maybe you would be going through some of this content and some of the stuff that was most compelling or powerful, you would then be pushing back out, you know, more widely to people, but it's really not, don't just, you know, set this up and build a big list and think that everyone will be excited, you know, for you to send them, you know, basically spam from your organization on their phone, like that's, nobody wants that. You want to figure out how to use this to have a conversation with people. Um, 
And what, what do people really use this for? To, set, to circulate links around, circulate ringtones, circulate interesting short clips. Jokes. Jokes is political jokes is huge. Um, not so much in, in the US as in, um, again, other places where the mobile phone is people's primary form of connectivity. But um, there's a lot of good cases and contexts where political jokes are just like 50% of all SMS traffic in some places. Um, and the other thing that's kind of cool about using your phone that's in my catch-all category is to use it as what we call a back channel during events. So this is like, you know, you're sitting in the really boring, um, I don't know, um, Democratic Party convention or something, and like you're there because, you know, it's the least worst alternative or something, and, but really, like, the speaker who's up there talking about how, like, comprehensive immigration reform requires militarizing our border, and you're just like, well, that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Phones are great to basically communicate with other people who are maybe there at the same event um, by sending text messages around, <laughs> jokes, <laughs> talking shit about the presenters, right. and making your alternative strategies, and actually coordinating things like, okay, like, who's going to get up there and ask the tough question? Um, you know, you're close to the mic, you know, can you do it? So, like, there's lots of situations where this can be a really useful tool, where you're kind of, you can't talk, you can't talk because of the social conventions of where you are or whatever, but you can still coordinate and organize um, sort that's of... Just, that's just easy texting. Yeah, just like texting, but exactly. I was noticing um, just before the debate, like, um, people were using the hash CAGOV tag to kind of create a space where they could discuss the debate. There was about one message a minute ago. Yeah, totally. So before, this, before the debate, during it, really good. So on, so on Twitter, people often create a hashtag, which is basically like a, sub, a subject line, you know, that, or a tag that people are going to use to discuss a particular topic. I, I forgot about these little outliers that you should know about. Um, okay, apps. Um, creating apps for phones. Right now, requires either a fair degree of technical expertise or a decent budget to hire someone to do it, or a really, like, excited volunteer who has those technical <laughs> skills. However... Um, there are a number of services that are launching right now to help you create apps just by pointing and clicking and dragging. Hmm. And for, uh, for Android phones, App Inventor is just about to launch. Like It's launching like this week, next week. Um, for, uh, for iPhones, there's something called App Maker. Um, I haven't used these services, um, but they are, they are out there, and so they, you should know about them, and you might... You know, go check them out and create your create What's your own app. J2ME is that for J2ME is 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 no is Java for for mobile devices and that works on non non smartphones and lower end okay. phones. So JavaScript applications can run on cheaper phones, um, and you can make apps with that. The other another thing I wanted to point out was mobilizing your site. Making a mobile site is not just it's not just cramming your entire site into a version that can be seen on a phone. The way that people interact with the internet on their phone is different than the way they interact with the internet on a big screen. And what you really need to do if you're going to create a mobile version of your site. Now, there are services that will do this, which will basically just cram your whole site into a mobile version by stripping out a bunch of the styling and stuff like that. And you, know, you, could, you could do that, but I don't know really how useful that's going to be to people who might be browsing your mobile site. What you want to do with a mobile version of your site is make something really, really simple and clear that when they get to your site on their tiny little screen, there's going to be something useful there for them to either see or do. So that would mean, like, if you produce a lot of content on your site, like regular, like your, your blog or a community journalism site, it's like you want the mobile version of your site, instead of having, like, tons of categories and searchability and all this blah, 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 Really, your mobile site is just going to be like basically an RSS feed. It's just going to be like, you know, your latest featured story is like just what is they're going to see when they get there and it's going to load up. If your site is more like a brochure site, um, yeah, I don't know. Then I don't know how useful it is to even have like a mobile version of your site. But like, um, but basically, like if there's some action that you want people to be taking, then like that's nice for them to land on. Like, they come to your site, and, like, you've got an organizing drive or something, and it's just like, okay, well, what do they need to do right that moment when they, when they 
come to your site on their mobile phone, what loads up should just be like some really big, clear, simple thing. Um, so that's the basic takeaway for mobilizing your site. It's not just, don't try and cram all your site's functionality you know, into this little screen. It's really kind of annoying for users. So just like figure out what is the main thing that you want people to do when they get to your site on their phone and make it as easy as possible like, for them to do it. And short codes are we already talked about. So that's it. We don't have time for strategy session. Like if we had more time, we would like kind of break down into groups and <coughs> workshop like how you might use these tools in your particular context. But instead, let's just um, 7:40. Let's just talk for the last uh, yeah. 20 or minutes. maybe people could tell us about their own situation, and we could brainstorm a way to. I don't know. Oh wait, and and here, more more stuff, more resources. Sorry. Oh. So this is where you can find out everything about how to do activism with mobile phones. Mobileactive.org. Okay. Right. Just go there. Mobileactive.org has like constantly updated case studies and examples of how to use phones for activism. Okay. Um, Mobiles in a box is a toolkit by Tactical Technology Collective, but you can get a, there's a link there from Mobileactive too. So Mobileactive.org is the main one to remember. And that is the end of my presentation. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sasha. So now let's chat. <laughs> Where can we access this?